And today we're going to have a topical message. We just finished our seven letters to the churches series last week. And uh, we're going to have a topical study this week on salt. It's called a salty sermon. And then next week we'll begin a new series uh, through the book of Philippians. And that's going to be called um, How to Think. And I, we may even have a picture, probably not this week. We'll, we'll have a picture next week. It's got a cool brain on the front. And uh, so the whole book of Philippians is, is, I'm really excited about it. And we're going to learn all these different lessons on how to think the way God wants us to think, to have our mind renewed the way that God wants it to be. So with all that said, I wanted to tell you guys that you all look very pretty today. You're looking good. You're looking good, at least on the outside. It doesn't look like any of you forgot to look at the mirror on your way out. Everyone has their hair in a nice place, you know, except my dad because he, <laughs> he shaved a part of his head on the side and he made a mistake when he was trying to trim some of his hair. And so I'm giving him a really hard time right now. <laughs> but... Even though you guys checked your mirrors on the way out, there's not a mirror that's been invented that can show us our hearts, is there? There's no mirror that shows, well, x-rays, I guess, but those only show your bones. They don't really show your heart, and none of us have CT scanners in our bathrooms. So there are no mirrors for our hearts. So our question we're going to look at today is, what is really going on inside? What is really going on inside? What does it look like in there? Are you in control of your life? Are you doing what you want to do? Or is Jesus in control of your life? And are you doing what he wants you to do? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and for the way that you um, gently minister to us when we need a gentle reminder. And you can be quite persuasive and, and forceful when we need a, a strong word of rebuke or exhortation. And Lord, I pray that this time in your word would be exactly what we need in our hearts. Every single one of us has a need and you are here to meet our needs. You're here to satisfy our thirst and our desires for wholeness, for completeness, for real intimate relationship with God. We thank you, Jesus, that we can call upon you at any time and that you will answer us. Lord, we stand upon your word and we trust you, Lord, more than we trust anything we hear in this world and even more than we trust our own mind and our own heart. We will look to your word first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Being a Christian is not about following the rules, primarily. It's about letting the life of Jesus live through your body. Being a Christian should be Jesus living inside you and flowing out of you, controlling your actions, controlling what you do and what you think. And in our text here, our first verse that we're going to read is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It tells us about this when it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, Jesus has loved us. And because he loved you, because he loved you, he gave himself for you when he died on the cross, didn't he? And that was a great thing that he did. And he's in, in that action of giving his life for us, he's given us a solution to every problem, every pain, every trial, every sickness, every broken place in our life has a solution now, which is Jesus' death on the cross and his life in us. So now we need to turn in our Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 15. The book of Exodus chapter 15. We're going to be jumping around a lot today, so get your Bibles ready, turn to the verses that we look at, and, and you'll be blessed as you read them. So the solution that, that God gave us, the solution Jesus gave us is himself. He says, I am the solution. He claims to be a new life for us. No, maybe you think my life is just fine. It's not. If you're really honest, you have problems, and so do I. And Jesus is the solution to those problems. He is a new resource to live by. He's a new way to do life. And we're going to learn how that happens today. And this scripture in Exodus shows us how Jesus gives his life for us. In chapter 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. So they've crossed over the Red Sea. You know, with the, the, he parted the waters, and they went through a great miracle of God. It's wonderful. Everyone should be super happy right now. So they, they start the next day going into this wilderness, all right? And they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, they called its name Marah, which guess what that means? Bitter, bitter right. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Remember that. Underline that. When he cast it, this tree, into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them or proved them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases excuse me, on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. That's a name we're given for God. He, he gives himself that name. He says, if you want to know what my name is, it's I am the Lord who heals you. So here we see this general story of some bitter waters that are healed by God. They were really bitter, and so God shows Moses a tree that heals them. And this is all symbolic for you and for me because that tree is a picture of the cross, isn't it? The cross. And the cross heals the waters of our soul. 
See, when we were born and as we grew up and we tasted of this world's sin and the hurt and the heartache and all the difficulties and trial of life, we, we tasted that the world was bitter. But then we started to see that our own hearts, all that was sourced out of our own hearts, was also bitter. And maybe it was the world that made us bitter. Maybe it was our parents that made us bitter. Maybe it was just us. We just had a never-ending source of bitterness in our hearts. But this tree of the cross can heal those bitter waters. Our water, the water, excuse me, of our soul, honestly, truthfully, has been bitter ever since the first tree. Do you guys remember what the first tree was? The first tree talked about in the Bible was in the Garden of Eden, right? And that was a tree where man decided to reject God. God gave him a choice and said, you can have a choice to follow me and listen to what I say or to decide for yourself what you would like to do. Now, the world we live in today very much values their freedom and their ability to make their own choices and decide what's right and wrong, which is exactly how we've always been. Ever since the garden, we have longed to make our own decisions about what's right and wrong. And even if it was a very simple command, don't eat of the fruit of the tree, we were like, no, I decide what's right. No one's going to tell me. And so ever since that first tree, we have had this bitter spring of waters in our heart. But God here shows us a new tree. And through this new tree, which is the cross of Jesus Christ, God promises to accomplish healing of these waters. At that first tree, we chose independence. We chose self. We chose death. We chose to be our own adults. But at the second tree, we choose God. We choose to reject ourselves and our own efforts and instead depend on God. We choose to turn away from what we think is right and to trust what God says is the truth. We choose life from God. We choose childlike dependency instead of adult-like rebellion. See the difference in the two trees? And so when we do this choosing of God, we're healed, just like in this story. By the life Jesus gave for us on the cross, our waters are healed. And so his name is now Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord is the healer or the Lord who heals us. He cannot, he cannot, God cannot help but respond with healing power when someone takes the cross, the tree, and throws it into the waters of their soul. God's response will always be the same, healing. This looks like healing. I don't know why, but be healed. This is the beginning of salvation. This is starting out with God. We call it justification in, in biblical terms. 
And it's being saved from the penalty of sin and being delivered into a new life, being born again. But that's not the end of the story, just like it's not the end of our sermon today. You might have been thinking, I wish that was the end. But it's not. Just like it's not the end of your Christian walk the day you get saved. The day you get saved was just the beginning and you have a whole lot of experiences to come after that. And it just so happens that there is a whole lot more for us to talk about. For Paul said, the life, in our verse in Galatians 2.20, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. The one I live now in the flesh, he said, I live by faith in the Son of God. So how does this Christ life work after you get saved? What does it look like the day after you're washed away from your sins? Well, turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. This second step of salvation, you could call it, is called sanctification or going on with God or growing with God or growing in grace. So many different, walking by the Spirit, there's so many synonymous terms, different ways people talk about it. But it's how you go from being a horrible, dirty, rotten sinner to being a a man that loves God and does his will. How does that happen? It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process called sanctification. 2 Kings chapter 2 is where we're at right now. Verse 19. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. You've got to see this. So Elisha is traveling around preaching in Israel, teaching people to follow God, doing miracles. He's a, he's a representative of God in the land. And wherever he goes, people want to talk to him about the Lord. And so he comes to this city in verse 19. And the men of this city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city. It's pleasant as my Lord sees but the water is bad and the ground barren. So Elisha goes to the city and the men of the city, they point out the situation to him. They said, the city looks pleasant, they say. Outward appearance is lovely. Things are growing. The plants are looking promising. We got fields out there and they're growing in the fields. And I got these plants for my tomatoes and I'm just so excited that all this stuff is growing. The farmers are out there working. It's just like my favorite Super Bowl commercial. Working the land, hoping for a fertile spring. You remember that commercial? It's the best with the, the settlers. Anyway, it is funny. But the, the problem in this city is that the water is bad and the ground is barren. That means if anyone passed by the city, they wouldn't notice a problem. Everything looked good. Everything looked wonderful. You know, friends and family and merchants would come and go through the city, and they wouldn't really notice any issues or problems. People might even comment and say, well, those are beautiful gardens, or those some shady trees. I think I might like to live in this town. It all looked just fine. But they didn't know the dirty, 
dark secret. See, these people in this city had a sinking feeling in their hearts because they knew the truth. No amount of encouragement or happy words could convince them that there was not a big problem in their city. And they tried even not to let the outsiders know this awful, terrible truth. They tried to conceal the issues that the water was bad and the ground was barren. It wasn't that there was no water, but the water they had was sterile. The water was bad. It didn't produce the life and the fruits that it was supposed to produce. And it's not that nothing grew. The plants were all growing just fine. But they ended up barren, and the Bible word there is they actually miscarried, literally. They were about to produce, the fruit was about to pop out, and then all of a sudden, bleh, Nothing. Nothing. So, and the people of this city, they hoped each and every spring would be a different story. That the, when the buds came out and the fruit would begin to grow, they hoped it would be fruit that would remain or fruit that would last. And they would get a little bit excited each spring, like maybe this is the year. But then that tragedy would strike again, and no matter how much they hoped, it's an important word, no matter how much they hoped, things would be different. And no matter how much they tried to cultivate differently and water a little bit differently and plant the plants in a different area or get them some more sun or some more shade, no matter how much they tried, it didn't change the results no matter what they did, the fruit would fall to the ground before it was ready and it would rot and die. It'd be useful for nothing, good for nothing. I really thought I turned a corner. I really made a special effort this time. I really hoped it would be different this time. I really wanted to change. But it didn't change. It, and we don't change because of our hopes, our efforts, or our desires. Those three things, three things do not change you. No matter how much you hope to change. Nope. This city was deceptive, but it was more just sad. It, it was unfruitful. And everybody on the outside thought it was great, but the truth was bitter and fruitless, and only they really knew. I mean, if someone were to really investigate, they might see it, but really only they knew in their hearts that they were fruitless. And this city, of course, might be you. Fruitless believers. I'm not talking about people who call themselves Christians, yet they have no concern at all for doing what's right. Those who live in habitual, unrepentant sin are not true followers of Jesus. So if you can just sin and sin and sin some more and don't even care, 
you're not following Jesus, you're not saved. I'm not talking about those people, though. I'm not talking about false brothers. I'm talking about us. You and me. Those who look good on the outside. Look real good. We don't have piles of trash in our cities. Your life doesn't look horrible. We have beautiful, luscious, growing plants. Yet, is there a dark secret that you're hiding from everybody? Not some dark sin, but just a general fruitlessness. I'm talking about church servants and Bible teachers and worship teams and moms and dads and missionaries and pastors. They're not hypocrites. When they talk about loving God and receiving his salvation, they mean every word that they say. They are sincere from the bottom of their broken little hearts. And their, but their hearts are broken because they feel like they're laboring in vain. They know that they should have fruit in each season, yet it isn't there. It hasn't reproduced. They don't really love. God or others the way they know they're supposed to. Others can't see it. Others don't know it because everything looks fine. Only they are haunted with this brutal truth that I am not really faithful. And they cry out to God with prayers like, you know how barren I am in my heart. You know how empty I feel. You know how stale I am. And nothing changes with these prayers. Why? Will this man of God, Elisha, who has a big beard, you know he's a man of God. Generally, they all do. Well, he has a solution to their problem, and the solution is salt. Salt. Well, that's weird. Let's look at the next verse here. Verse 20. So Elisha said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and then he went out to the source of the water. He went out to the source of the water, good important verse, and he cast the salt in there. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water, and from it there shall no more be death and barrenness. Notice that he did go to where the water was sourced. He goes to the root of the problem, right? He goes to the heart of the problem, and he casts salt into it. So what does salt represent? It represents the risen life of Jesus Christ. What does salt represent? The risen life of Jesus Christ. Salt represents the risen life of Jesus Christ. I'm still saying it because Kurt's still writing it down. Salt represents the risen life of Jesus Christ. I, I, this is an important point. The most important point. It's the risen life of Jesus Christ. The tree in our story in Exodus, healed the bitter waters. That pictures us getting saved, right? But the salt 
heals the unfruitful waters. Okay, so you, you start out with God, you're healed you know, of your sin, you know you're washed clean, you, you don't have that bitterness anymore. But now there, there can be unfruitfulness in your life and you can go around living your life knowing that you're just not there. You're not really doing what God wants. Well, salt heals the unfruitful waters. We're justified by trusting his death on the cross. That's how you get saved. But we're changed by trusting his risen life that came three days after the cross. Both are looking towards Jesus, but the different aspects of what he does are so amazing. The only way to serve and to know and to please God after being saved is by the risen life of Jesus Christ. Well, the resurrection is super important. I didn't know how important it was the first moment I believed, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what needs to fill my life every day. The only way to know God is by the risen life of Jesus Christ. The only way to serve God is by the risen life of Jesus Christ. The only way to please God is by the risen life of Jesus Christ. Turn to Leviticus chapter 2 and with your other finger Mark chapter 9. I'm testing your dexterity, proving your worth as Bible scholars today. Every other way of living the Christian life except by this risen life, every other way of living the Christian life will lead to fruitless disappointments and fake Christian smiles spreading like wildfire over our churches. Kids and I watched a Brain Games last night. You guys seen Brain Games? Love that show, right? Well, it was about smiles and fake smiles versus real smiles. And I was like, ah, okay. And this salty theme that we're going to look at, it runs all throughout Scripture that salt represents the life, the risen life of Jesus consistently. And you should check it out. Everywhere that they talk about salt, it pretty much always represents the risen life of Jesus Christ. So look at Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And every offering of your grain you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer with salt. In other words, he's saying there should never be a time when you try to serve God without salt. Without the risen life of Jesus Christ pulsing through your veins. Don't even try to serve me, he says. Any sacrifices made without salt would never be accepted, God says. No matter how sincere you are, no matter how hopeful you are, no matter how hard you try or how costly your sacrifice is, the fruit will always be rotten. The water will always be fruitless. Every servant of God must know this. We must all understand this. Even, check it out, Jesus knew this. He knew about the salt. Look in Mark chapter 9, verse 49. Mark chapter 9, verse 49. Jesus says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, 
And every sacrifice will be seasoned with what? Salt. Right. What Jesus is saying is that this is not optional. We can't think we know the best way to serve God. I know if I get a degree from a Christian college, then I'll be qualified to serve God. Maybe if I just adhere to a certain philosophy that I heard preached, maybe that will qualify me to serve God. Or maybe if I come up with a plan or read a book and get a strategy, maybe those things will qualify. Maybe efforts. Maybe it's all just about efforts. Maybe I just haven't tried hard enough to please God. And that's why I never lead anyone to the Lord. And that's why God doesn't use me powerfully in the world. It's because I didn't try hard enough, right? Maybe I didn't give my best. Pastors, I hear them all the time say, give me your best. Give God your best. I didn't do that, so that must be my problem. Maybe I don't belong to the wrong denom- right denomination. I don't go to the right church. I don't listen to the right teacher. <gasps> All the ways that we look to ourselves to make the difference to the world or in our own lives. Jesus is saying it must be salt. There has to be salt there. It has to be his risen life pulsing, pumping through your heart. It can't be any other way. Ezekiel, the book, not my son, says the same thing. In chapter 43 of Ezekiel, turn to there, chapter 43, verse 24. Jesus says, every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Anything that God accepts is only because of the life of Jesus in it. It doesn't matter about you. It matters about him. Ezekiel 43, 24. When you offer them before the Lord, the priest shall throw salt on them. And they will offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. So the priests, when they would offer sacrifices, uh, it was the salt that made this offering accepted. When they were singing songs to the Lord, he said, throw salt at it. Do you have a problem in your heart? Throw some salt at it. Do you have any sort of barrenness or fruitlessness in your life? He says, throw salt at it. The risen life of Jesus Christ must be applied to your heart every day. Every day, that's how it works. And then the offering, this offering that the priest would be consumed by the fire of God. It would be burnt up by God. Just like Jesus said, every offering will be made with fire in our previous verse, right? be seasoned with fire. That's what we want. That's what we need to be. We want to be set on fire for God, right? I want to be on fire. You hear that all the time. I want to be on fire, consumed by the fire of God, not burnt out in my life, (laughs) but consumed with his burning in our souls, on fire for God. How does that happen? With salt. With salt, he says. Now look at Luke chapter 14, the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke 
John. Luke 14. This is the way it was always supposed to work with the people of God. He never wanted it to degrade into this, this is what we do, we go to church, we try really hard. Life is such a bummer. Life is so difficult. Church is so boring. Church is so fake. People are so hypocritical. Why don't I really like my life? Eeyore. We were never intended to be a barren city. This has always been the demand. If Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to be on fire. I want complete burning up. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said this, verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We'll stop right there for a moment. The only way anyone can be a disciple is by total forsaking of all our own abilities. All my own resources. I need to be, Jesus says, totally dependent on God. Totally vested in his life. Totally bankrupt of self-sufficiency. And then Jesus continues, and what do you think he's going to talk about? Salt, right. <laughs> salt, he says, is good. But if it lose, if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land or for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus, he gives this warning, and it's a very real problem that we have. There are substitutes for salt. Other things that taste good for a moment, but do not contain the same properties as real salt. They don't preserve meat. Salt substitutes. They're out there. Different things you can use that taste salty for a little while, but if you try to pack some meat with the salt substitutes, it will rot very quickly. Self-effort is the salt substitute. Say that 10 times fast. Self-effort is the salt substitute. Self-effort is the salt substitute. And this is so sneaky in our world and in our hearts. And there's pastors and teachers all over the place that confuse this and they, they want people to just give a little bit more effort. Try a little bit harder. And what's the result of it? Stinky, rotting fruit. Doesn't work. It looks good at first glance, the self-effort. Oh, look how hard he's trying. Oh, bless his little heart. No one can even tell the difference right at the beginning. Oh, they're doing such a good job at being a Christian. But it does not endure. It does not produce life. It does not surrender all to Jesus. It is not bankrupt of its 
all of every thought of self. In fact, it always comes back to look how good I'm doing. Wait a second. I just messed up. Look how bad I am now. Well, I'm going to try harder. Look how good I am now. It's all self-focused. God has freed you from that. Your life can be Jesus-focused. I'm terrible all the time, but Jesus is good all the time. My heart can be set on him. My mind can be focused on him. It's only when we renounce every dependency on self, every thought of self, every dependency on our flesh, can we taste what the real salt tastes like. And salt is good. Well, doing the will of God, the work of God is to believe, right? That's what we learn in John 6, 29. And we talk about this all the time. But Jesus answered and said to them in John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Believing. So what we see here with this whole salt thing is that the work of God, if you want to serve God and offer up these offerings, it has to have the salt. And so the work of God is to stubbornly believe and depend on the Son of God who gave his life for you and his in you, and that he is the real salt, and that he will make you the salt of the earth. So the real work of God is to believe in the risen life of Jesus Christ, that it's available to you and offered to you, if you would just ask and just come to him. Just take that cross, cast it in the water, or take the salt and cast it in the water. We need to reject all our thoughts of our abilities and our efforts so that he can be what he was sent to be. So Jesus could be all in all for us. He wants to be our very life. It doesn't matter about you and your life. He wants to be your life. He wants to be your ability. He wants to be your wisdom, your sufficiency. He wants to be your healing. Jesus wants to be these things for us, and we must maintain a total dependency on Jesus. We must be stubborn about it. We can't let our flesh deceive us and convince us that success depends on me. Because it doesn't. If it did, then one person would have an advantage over another person in serving God, but that's not the case. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. But what about everything I heard growing up? That God would help you out, but at a certain point, you need to pick yourself up and give your best efforts. Add your best efforts to the grace of God. What about that message? And I'm here to boldly tell you today, it's demonic and not biblical. That is not what God has ever said. It is antichrist to teach someone to add your best efforts onto what Jesus did on the cross. It's a slap in the face to Jesus. He doesn't need your efforts. He wants your heart. He'll produce fruit. He's great at producing fruit in your life. Please stop giving him your efforts and instead give him 
your heart. We must depend on the grace of God. Turn to Ezra chapter 7. We're getting schooled today in the word of God on salt. You see, because God, he's good for it. He can be dependent on completely. We can seek him and we can ask him for this risen life of Jesus Christ and he will give it. No lie. My kids do love swimming. And when we go swimming, the best part for them is they know that they can be on the side of the pool and they can jump in without thought of their own life because they think dad's going to catch them. They do this all the time. But they have a confidence and a dependence on me, however misplaced that may be. Well, Ezra, he knew how to depend on the Lord. Look at Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. It says, For this Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his request, according to the hand of the Lord God that was upon him. Well, wouldn't it be cool if you got everything you asked for? That's, Mo, that's Ezra's situation here. He just got everything he asked for. It'd be cool to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that when you ask God for something, he would give you anything. It's like your own personal genie in a bottle. We, it would be cool to know you would have every need met, every desire fulfilled, Every hurt healed. To have everything we need to minister to those in our life, no matter how difficult they are, no matter how sinful they are, you could have what you need to love that person. Wow. To be powerful, unstoppable spiritually. To know that the life and power of God was available to you at any time that's the life that Ezra is just chilling with right now. It's like, I know, I get, I get what I need from the king. We'll look down in verse 21, chapter 7, verse 21. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. Up to a hundred talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. So Ezra's heart, what Ezra was doing was that he was trying to restore the pure worship of God and, and the work of God in, the, in God's house among all the people of God. He wanted to see them worshiping God and thriving in a relationship with God where they knew they were good. So what is this wise man of God with a beard? What does he ask for? We're told what he says he needs. A hundred of this, a hundred of that, a bath of this. <laughs> but salt, he says. He, it's different when he asks for salt. He says it has to be without measure. I must have as much salt as I need. I must have an unlimited amount of salt. I must never run out of salt. Why? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because no matter how sincere I am, 
no matter how much I give, no matter how much I want it, nothing is accepted or right without salt. We must have an endless supply of God's resources if we're supposed to meet the needs and of the people of God, and if we want to serve them and be a good church and be a godly wife and a godly husband and be a good employee, you need an endless supply of God's grace, God's riches of salt. And it just so happens that God gives just that, an unlimited resource. Check out 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God does not limit the amount of grace available to you for the things that he's called you to do or required you to do. While I don't feel like being a good employee that honors God and serves this jerk of a boss. I don't care. You go to God and ask him for the grace to be righteous, and guess what he'll do? Give you that grace. Well, I don't want it. Well, there's the problem, isn't it? You don't want what God wants. The only way to change that is to change your heart. How do you do that? By spending time with the Lord. Read the Bible and pray. Well, All that God wants us to do is done through the risen life of Jesus Christ. No other way. We cannot do anything out of our own strength. We are like this empty glove. The very glove used by George this morning. We are like this empty glove. We can do nothing without the risen life of Jesus Christ inside us, filling us and making us move. You can't do anything with this. <sighs> Literally nothing. You can't, I can't even, this is a pick, weighs like nothing. Pointless, worthless, of no value. And that is us. But with the risen life of Jesus Christ filling us, when we throw some salt at it, it gets this, I know it looks weird, but it, it gets a new life inside it. You can do anything. I can pick up a giant power in my life. Oh, I can do stuff. Read the Bible. Discipline your kids. Whatever you need to do the will of God. Amen. All these amens out there. We don't have to just be a city that looks good on the outside, but we can be a city that gets things done. We can be a city that has the resources to serve God in truth and in power. We can be a city that never fails, that never gets burnt out. Why would we get burnt out with a living supply of Jesus in our hearts? We won't. You won't. We never have to feel that inner shame of fruitlessness and barrenness. We don't have to have that. That's not the life God intended for the followers of his son. He intended to put his life in them. They, they would actually let his son just live through them through humility and faith. 
That's our part, humility and faith. That's what we add to the puzzle. That's all it takes, humility and faith. I want you to remember back to our story with Elisha back there in 2 Kings 2. And I'm going to read the last verse again, chapter 2, verse 21. I'll read to you. It says, Then he went out to the source of the water, and he cast the salt in there. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed these waters. From it there shall no more be death and barrenness. Humility is when we say, I need help. This people of the city came to Elisha and said, We need help. We don't have it all together. My city doesn't have the fruit that it should. My waters are barren. I need you, God. That's step one of what you need to do. Admit your need for God. Number two is faith. Stand on God's promises. You say, I trust your word, and I cast your risen life into my heart by faith. It's not something we don't have literal salt we're holding in our hands. This is all invisible. It's when you decide to believe that Jesus is all you need and you take that and you cast it into your own heart. I believe that you will come to me with your risen life when I call upon you. I believe that you will not reject the plea of your humble child. God won't. He's a very loving father. If you develop these two attitudes, these two relational realities, you'll find out that he's already healed your waters. And there is no doubt. There is no failure in our God. There is no way that he is going to disappoint you. He is, it's as good as done. It's like, I kind of remember him saying something about it being finished. Do you remember when he said that? On the cross. There is victory and fruitfulness available and promised to you today, here, now, by the risen life of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So call upon him and depend on him. Now I'm going to end with a charge to you. I'm going to charge you to tell this truth to everybody that you know. I charge you to let Jesus, his life and his kingdom, be the topic of all your conversations. And I get that from Colossians 4.6. Colossians 4.6, which says, Let your speech be always with grace seasoned with haha what do you think that means now this changes everything when i used to read that verse i thought it was like oh okay seasoned with salt that means preservation or something else i don't really know what that means i'm kind of confused now i know it's the risen life of jesus christ let your speech be with grace his life seasoned with salt his risen life, that you may know how to answer each one, he says. Anytime you answer someone, let it be, uh, the risen life of Jesus Christ. How's your day-to-day, the risen life of Jesus Christ? Now apply it in whatever way. How's your day-to-day? I'm doing great because Jesus is alive and inside me. 
Wow. Your mom just died. How are you? I have the risen life of Jesus Christ, and she's risen and alive with Jesus Christ. Do you want to be it? Do you want to get saved too? You want to have the risen life of Jesus Christ too? Boldness. This is how to get it. This is what boldness is. Be seasoned with salt. Let's pray. Jesus, you're all in all for us. We, have, we need nothing but to look to you and to trust in you. We don't need big sound systems. We don't need flashy lights or anything else, Lord. We need just you. Would you all stand with me? If you've been living your life based on your own efforts, trying to please God or trying to know God or serve God or maybe just doing whatever you want to do, and today's the day that you would like to call upon him and believe in the cross and cast that tree into the bitter waters of your heart, right now is an opportunity. Call upon the Lord and say, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I don't know who you are, all of you in here. I don't know what's going on in your lives. But I do know that Jesus is the answer. And Jesus is, the, is madly in love with you. And he gave his life. And he offers it to you right now. To anyone that would just call upon him from their hearts. So maybe it's the, it's the being cleansed and getting saved that what is what you need. Just call upon him right now. But maybe you've been following Christ for a long time. And you know that there is a fruitlessness in your life. You know that there is an emptiness and a barrenness and a dryness. You can call upon Jesus as well right now. It is his life available to you. That's the salt. Lord Jesus, we need you. I need you. And I refuse to let go of you. I can't do anything on my own, Lord. I cannot be a good person. I cannot be good enough. I can try, but they always, my efforts always fall short. Lord, I desire to be free in you. I desire to only look to you when I have a need. And Lord, I want to serve you. I want to be used by your power. And Lord, I want to share your good news. I want my speech to be salted, be seasoned with your risen life. Lord, I don't want to fake it anymore. I don't want to have that fake Christian smile, but I want to have the real risen life of Jesus Christ smile that cannot go away no matter what is happening to me. Lord, I, I want you to live through me because it's no longer I who lives anymore, but Jesus Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I want it to be by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me as salt. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.